on life. Hello and welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. As one who visits the Holy Land frequently, I have really enjoyed the opportunity to spend time with Israelis and Palestinians and during our group tours that we do every year, the opportunity to introduce others to the complexities of that beautiful but troubled region. This week, we've seen scenes of unprecedented protest as hundreds of thousands of Israelis have taken to the streets to protest at the proposed changes that Benjamin Netanyahu wants to bring to that nation. There are very real fears that his far-right conservative religious coalition wants to bring legislation that threatens democracy. And the situation worsened when Defence Minister Yoav Gallant was fired. Yaya Lapid, the leader of the opposition in Parliament and former Prime Minister, has called upon Netanyahu to cancel the dismissal. He said, Let us go to the President's residence and start a national dialogue, at the end of which we will have a constitution based on the Declaration of Independence and a state in which we all live together with mutual respect. He added that the Prime Minister had sacked Gallant for one reason only, he was telling the truth. And that got me thinking. Just yesterday I was chatting with a friend who's also a church leader, and he made the comment that often in churches we don't actually tell the truth, particularly when there's conflict and disagreement. Some churches have developed a culture where nobody can challenge their leaders. If we question what's going on, the direction of the church, we're being disloyal, or worse still, divisive. If you're in a church like that, you might want to think about looking elsewhere. Telling the truth can be difficult, costly, but we are those who follow the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. So tonight, let's think about just that, telling the truth. There are some well-worn phrases that scare me. When my fiendishly grinning dentist says, this will hurt just a little, this usually means that he's going to attack my mouth with a hammer and chisel. When the airline pilot gently advises that the landing might be a little bumpy, he or she is normally preparing me for a roller coaster ride which might include my head butting the overhead baggage compartment and revisiting my breakfast. And when fellow Christians announce that they're about to speak the truth in love to me, I'm tempted to head for the nearest nuclear fallout shelter. Usually, when they murmur this indication of kindly torture to come, it means that they won't speak the truth in love, that is. If they were, they wouldn't have to issue the health warning. Most of us have met the seriously spiritual person who is determined to verbally cannibalise us, but plans to do it in the nicest, most biblical way, all in the best possible taste. Let's face it, sadly, we've all been that predator ourselves at times. Words easily become weapons of destruction because of the power that they have to bruise. So we need to make hesitation a habit before verbalising our concerns and jumping headlong into conflict. Silence and pause help us to respond rather than react. There are some small issues that can be left undiscussed, lest we become people who are always on safari looking for the opportunity to rebuke everybody about the tiniest detail. It's too easy 
people of principle that we are, to become Pharisees who strain at gnats and swallow large camels, humps and fur and all. And of course, we do well to reflect rather than rush in, brain in neutral, mouth in fifth gear, because we might just be wrong. Surprising as it seems to some who feel that the universe would explode if they ever made an error, there are times when we just get the wrong end of the stick, whereupon silence is indeed golden. But I have been wondering recently about the tendency that we have to do the very opposite and not get around to speaking the truth at all. Under the guise of Christian niceness, we end up agreeing with each other privately and then going elsewhere to broadcast our disagreements. We shake hands and hug and then, unwilling to be honest, we retreat back into the shadows. This is called lying in love. And there are some church situations where, sadly, as I mentioned earlier, if you actually disagree and speak up, you will be quickly accused of being divisive. And no, I'm not being divisive. It's just that I've got a brain and a contrary opinion. Some even suggest that we're being rebellious, but we're not. It's just that a little explanation would be helpful. Worse still is the implication that if we were just as deep as the real go-getters in the church, then we would surely understand what's going on. As it is, we must be blinded by our sad, fleshy immaturity. And when we advance a little in faith, we will see the light like the rest of the spiritual Goliaths around here in the church. This is sometimes nothing less than full-blown Gnosticism, where certain believers claimed that they had the edge on revelation and wisdom. Insight had been given to them that the rest of the carnal plebs just couldn't cope with. It's a control mechanism suppressing the truth. And when it's used to silence a genuine inquiry or concern, it should be identified clearly for what it is. Bunk. And if you think that I'm pointing the finger exclusively at leaders and ministers here, you're wrong because they too have been devastated by that little spiritual group in the church who seem to think that they are Olympic swimmers when the rest of us can only hope to sport wit stripes. For younger listeners, in the old days, we got a little white cloth stripe to sew onto our swimming trunks when we successfully swam a width of the swimming pool. I still wear mine with pride. The call to be slow to speak and quick to listen is obviously a biblical one, but let's not get into pleasant unreality and think that we are honouring God as we do so, because it is awkward, it is uncomfortable to have to push through to explore our differences, resolve our conflicts and share what we feel is the truth. But with God's help, we ought to be able to take that painful journey and still hold on to each other in fellowship and friendship. So let's be thoughtful, gracious, willing to give the benefit of the doubt, but real, authentic and truthful with it. And I say all of that to coin a phrase, in love. It was a provocative slant on the Easter story. Broadcaster and journalist Janet Street Porter made a poignant observation about the society we're becoming and suggested that we're using technology like a rabble of loud bullies. 
Writing in The Independent, she lamented that if Jesus had been tortured and crucified today, photos would be online within seconds, along with jokes and so-called funny videos. Social media enables us to fight social injustice and shine a light on acts of terror, but it's also turned us into yobs, people who rarely think of the consequences before pressing the send button. Her comment came just after she'd crossed verbal swords on the BBC's programme Question Time. Ms Street Porter quickly came under smartphone fire, receiving a volley of hundreds of abusive texts, insulting her looks, tagging her as stupid and suggesting that she deserved to die from cancer. She went on to ask a pertinent question, which surely demands our attention. Modern technology, she said, has turned us into a shouty society. Are we losing our ability to politely disagree? I think we should heed her words, especially as we're reflecting on the importance of truth, because the evidence is in. She's right. With one in three teachers saying that they've been bruised by text and internet bullying from students and parents, we're in danger of becoming a culture where the person who yells poisonous vitriol the loudest wins. But when dialogue is replaced by diatribe, we all lose. Truth is not found when opponents just parry with sound bites. We must journey in rugged but respectful debate if we're going to arrive at helpful conclusions and genuinely find the truth together. But this virus of word pummeling is not just infecting our wider culture, it is contaminating the church too. Those of us who profess to follow Jesus need to get our own houses in order. During the Brexit referendum in the UK, remember that? There were some Christians who traded rude, derisory comments on Facebook, perhaps thinking that we can suspend our commitment to measured speech and kindness when the conversation comes around to politics. Some Christian leaders posted statements that were loaded with generalities and simplistic solutions, implying that anyone who didn't share their political viewpoint was idiotic, selfish, fascist, communist, or simply just out of step with God. Obviously, some policies don't reflect what God wants, but kingdom justice doesn't come when there's more heat than light. When we arrogantly insist that we have carte blanche divine endorsement for our views, rather than robustly arguing our case, we take the easy way out and just duck behind God. Or so we think. A few days after that referendum, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, gave a speech that included the sad admission that some of the worst hate mail he receives comes from Christians. He said, The reality is that we do not, as faith groups in our society, always exhibit that secure tolerance to each other that enables us to speak powerfully of secure tolerance to the world around us. Christians are as bad as anyone at this. In fact, if I dare to be competitive, I think we're worse. The phenomena of ranting believers is not new in America. Politicians on Capitol Hill have long remarked that evangelical Christians are among the rudest of their constituents, using capital letters and exclamation marks without restraint and threatening the fires of hell if their political representative doesn't vote as they demand. Genuine passion and concern for the truth can have an unfortunate side effect. We shout. 
but concerns expressed at high volume or with a harsh tone don't only wound those on the receiving end, but we lose our credibility. It's difficult for a politician to believe that constituents are authentically loving and caring if they act like blustering bigots, hollering insults. And you don't have to be a vitriolic internet troll to become a verbal bully. As I mentioned earlier, but I'm going to repeat the concern, those of us who are church leaders can adopt a troll-like posture when we demonise someone in the congregation because they bother us with awkward questions. When we tag a questioner as difficult, it's not long before they graduate to divisive, and although we don't actually get around to burning the witch, we certainly shred their reputations with a few words of pious dismissal. Regrettably, I confess that I've done this and it's cowardly behaviour. At the end of his authentic and humble speech, Justin Welby offered a challenge for us all. Can we model confidentiality, transparency and genuine respect for one another? I really hope we can. As we pursue truth, as we endeavour to speak truth, let's ensure that our tone reflects grace and truth married together. So, as we've been reflecting on the need for truth, but truth spoken in love, and as we hear about the unrest in the Holy Land, let's remember to pray for peace, reconciliation, the right way forward for that region, but let's also zero in in our own lives, in our marriages, friendships, relationships, churches... Let's be people of the truth and people of love. See you next week. Lucas on Life.